Welcome to Group, a podcast about mental health and mental illness. This is the show for the warriors. What if everything we've ever told each other is a lie? Like, I'm not even sure who you are. The depressives. I'll go by myself. I can use the empty seat next to me to slump into when I die alone. And the people feeling all the emotions. I can feel the sadness and the mania. To the folks who are looking into treatment options, we're here to answer your questions. Wait, you're so confident without being mean. What antidepressants are you on? To those who are feeling out of sorts, we're here to share some advice. When my dad died, I found that a very small dose of Lexapro mixed in with some ice cream really helped me jumpstart my way out of my grief. Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person, and I'm here with group friendipist, clinical social worker, Catherine Drury. Hello. Happy to be back. And with us all the way from Seattle, Washington, the nation's capital of dreariness, tiny houses, and plaid shirts, we have science writer Ian Chant. I'm not quite sure it's the nation's capital of dreariness, but yes, definitely <laughs> those other two things. I was just thinking about, you know, the weather and, you know, the reputation for like lots of rain and cloudiness. It feels kind of like Seattle here today. It does. Yeah, it's quite it's quite rainy here. Um, do you feel full disclosure? It is beautiful in Seattle. Wow. <laughs> of course it is. Sunny, clear. The mountain is out. That sounds great. Um, it's fantastic. So do you feel like you're mental health now that you're there like have you lost all of your anxiety and adopted like a pacific northwest sense of chill <laughs> because that's the dream <laughs> it's what we're holding out for yeah that's what we're thinking we can always leave new york and move to where you are and everything will be better i will say it's it's a much more chill place the overall just like vibe and like stress level is significantly lower Hmm. Um, you, you have caught me on a particularly rough day. We are still kind of in the throes of like finishing out the move, mm -hmm. um, yeah. living out of boxes, waiting on furniture to be delivered. I still have that, that New York tightness in my shoulders. So, so maybe we'll check in, you know, for next episode and, and see if you're a little bit chiller at that point, if some of the New Yorkness has been washed off by the Seattle rain. I, I predict by, by... Next time we record, I should just like kind of sound like I'm on Xanax all the time. Just awesome. you know, slow and West Coast drawly and yeah. Yeah, man. I'm having some trouble picturing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious to meet yeah, that, Ian. Today I, could, today I could chew through a table. So. <laughs> okay. Well, hang loose, my brother. <laughs> so we only get Ian for a limited amount of time because he is unpacking and running around and being crazy, but I'm very happy to have the three of us together. Group today is about narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder, which has obviously been a topic of cultural conversation a lot lately because of statements and behavior by our nation's leader. Today, we're going to speak with a narcissism expert about the different types of narcissists, including a form of narcissism, which is connected to depression and anxiety. Yeah, imagine you're in the basement and you're playing World of Warcraft and you're like, God, I wish everybody knew how great I am. And they don't. You get sad. You go into treatment. We'll hear from a man diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder about his thoughts on whether narcissists can truly experience love for others. Narcissists and psychopaths regard other people as objects, representations, avatars, functions, extensions, but never as people. Of course, it's impossible to love if you regard people that way. And of course, we'll discuss the ongoing debate regarding whether our president's narcissism makes him unfit for public office. Nobody can do it like that. Honestly. Nobody's stronger than me. Nobody has better toys than I do. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. So stick around for our super fun narcissism episode of Group. You don't even have to be good at building walls to join us. All are welcome. So most people who have narcissistic personalities, they don't have it to like a clinically significant level. So they wouldn't have like a, a disorder, a personality disorder. Right. They might have 
some narcissistic personality traits, but not the full-blown disorder. That doesn't mean that it wouldn't necessarily still seriously affect that person's life or the lives of, of people around them. I spoke with Keith Campbell, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Georgia and an expert on narcissism. There are two major types of narcissism. Here he is breaking down the first form of narcissism, grandiose narcissism. When we talk about narcissism, what most people are talking about is this grandiose form of narcissism. These are people who are extroverted, agenic, driven. They're often interpersonally callous and manipulative as well, but but they're sort of fun to be around because of the drive and the, the ambition that goes with it. They have a strong sense of entitlement. It's what most people think of when they think about a narcissistic celebrity um, or a politician or anybody they've dated and had a bad relationship with. So most narcissists that you meet on a, you know, in daily life are likely to be grandiose narcissists. Um, So I, you know, I have a list of people in my head from my personal life who I feel like are potential uh, grandiose narcissists. But also, you know, there are a lot of celebrities who are are grandiose. Yeah, I think the big example for me is probably Kanye West Mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of the constant debate of is this a publicity stunt Mm -hmm. or... Does he indeed have narcissistic personality disorder and believe that he's God and God's gift to the music industry and mankind? Yeah, he definitely has that like dry. He gets stuff done, but he also, you know, he's Jesus. He presents himself as like a divine. Right. You know, as a God. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of Matthew McConaughey, who remember that he had that Oscar speech where he thanked his heroes, which were like future versions of himself. It turned out. <laughs> Ian, do you, can you think of any grandiose narcissists? Um, I mean, probably me a little bit. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I mean, I definitely did win the narcissism competition between yeah, the three well, of us. That's what that was. That's what that <laughs> yeah, was, totally right? Exactly. Yeah, so I had Catherine and Ian take this narcissistic personality inventory, which is a measure of grandiose narcissism. Um, so the national average is 15.5, uh, and we all took the test. Uh, wait, so Catherine, what did you, what did you score? I scored an 11. Okay. So I also scored an 11. That... Which the highest you could get was 40. Yeah, 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 yeah. So national average again is 15.5. Uh, Ian, what did you get? I got a 16. Okay. So, uh, so... you know, co- coming in a little bit hot. I thought I was answering it, like, on the more narcissistic end, or like I was feeling more confident that day. I think yeah. if, you, if you thought at all about how you were answering it, <laughs> you were not answering on the narcissistic end. Ian, I'm curious about some of your answers. So what did you put for, there was one that was like, the thought of ruling the world frightens the hell out of me, or if I ruled the world, it would be a better place. Oh, it would definitely be in a better place if I ruled the world. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, I do not like that frightens the hell out of me. I would 100% yeah. be like, no, 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 somebody else do it. <laughs> but here's the thing. And there, I think that was that was one of, of several of those questions that I didn't really like. Because here, on the one hand, yes, the idea of me ruling the world is is scary. Because I think that would be hard and I think it would be a lot of work, but I also think that I would be really good at it. So if anyone is hiring for a world leader, um, I will go ahead and just throw my hat in the ring. Right. And a lot of the the questions or responses were very black and white. So it was like, I don't really fall under either I extreme. Know. Yeah, some of them were hard to choose. You know, another one for me where where both are the case is, you know, the I find it easy to manipulate people and I don't like it when I find myself manipulating people. Because I think, you know, for for me, I can definitely be a smooth talker when I need to and when I want to and when the Mm. situation calls for it. I don't like that. Uh-huh. I had an image of myself playing Risk, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm very good at manipulating people and getting them to do what I want uh, them to do okay. in a competitive <laughs> environment. And some of what you talked about, too, Ian, I think is just kind of intuition mm-hmm. and knowing how to read people. Yeah, and... I think, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty good at empathizing and understanding yeah. people's emotions and that, but for me, I like... I don't know, that doesn't translate into a, like an ability to like make people do the things that I want them to do. Well, you're just not being cruel enough. 
(laughs) (laughs) Um, Reality television stars uh, on an average score about 19.5 on the inventory, which is, you know, higher than Ian. Um, But uh, U.S. presidents score an average of like 22. So it's interesting. Donald, talk about this later. We'll talk about Trump later. But like, you know, Trump is both a reality star and, you know, a president. Right. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so I'll put a link to that narcissistic personality inventory on the show page, grouppodcast.com, if you're curious where you score. Okay, so that's grandiose narcissism, but there's one other major form of the disorder. The other form of narcissism is this more vulnerable form of narcissism, which are people who actually have low self-esteem, they're sort of introverted, have a sense of entitlement, but they're also very mistrustful of other people. Sometimes we talk about them as like covert narcissism because it's hard to see. You know, you think, oh, this guy's depressed, but really he's depressed and and thinks he's really entitled to special treatment at the same time. In one of your TEDx talks, you referred to vulnerable nar- narcissism as like basement narcissism. <laughs> yes. And I think you had this you had this uh, image that I really loved of like this dude living in his parents' basement thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm destined for greatness, but this is horrible because I'm, you know, like st- stuck living with my parents. Yeah, it's just really it's a struggle because you have this this sort of image of this this image of how important you are and how special you are. And you're like. God, I wish the world, they should just realize how great I am. But you're also sort of shy, so you're not going out there and, and getting this, you know, acclaim that you think you deserve. And mm-hmm. I, I always think of the comic book guy in The Simpsons. That's so it's such a dated reference, but he's kind of, you know, George Costanza plays one of these characters, sort of Woody Allen plays yeah. sometimes one of these characters. It's a little different flavor than the more, you know, Kanye in-your-face awesomeness that, that we think of with the grandiosity. Yeah. So would vulnerable narcissists be more likely to seek out, you know, some sort of clinical treatment or, or, you know, help from a mental health professional? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that happens when you have this, this sort of vulnerability or this low self-esteem is you end up with a lot of depression and anxiety. And you can imagine it would be hard. You're kind of, you know, imagine you're in the basement and you're, you know, playing World of Warcraft and you're like, God, I wish everybody knew how great I am. And they don't. You get sad. You go into treatment or you're Somebody says, yeah, man, maybe you need help. And when you go into therapy, they start treating the depression or the anxiety. And they go, wait a second, you're you're depressed and anxious, but you also think you're pretty awesome, too. Mm-hmm. We've got some personality stuff going on here, and then it becomes a little more complicated. So I thought that was really interesting because when I think of depression, I, I think of, you know, just such a sense of self-disgust. So it was interesting hearing that there are different types of depression and that narcissists can experience depression. When you talk about the the covert narcissist thing, one of the things I think about is is like, and and this is something that, that I'm definitely guilty of in, in in my life, like fishing for compliments, like, oh, I'm so bad at this when you're really hoping someone will tell you how great you are at it. He was saying that like, Grandiose narcissists are the people that often like use social media really well and will like post a ton of selfies. That is a sign of grandiose narcissism a little bit. But then also vulnerable narcissists can do that, too, because they are just fishing. You know, they're like, I'm going to take all these photos of myself, post them on Instagram, and then hopefully people will realize it's it's a tool for like introverts also to like get the the accolades that they're that mm. they desire. Huh. Um Catherine, have you I'm just wondering, like, if you as a therapist have had like patients come in with depression and then you're like, oh, my God, actually, like you think. Well, I used to work with a fair amount of patients with borderline personality disorder. And there are some kind of overlapping traits or sometimes someone can be diagnosed with borderline and actually have narcissistic personality disorder, you know, this vulnerable type, um, because it's within the same category of personality disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, Working with someone with a personality disorder my usual first sense of it is like in my gut. Wow. Um, where it's, it's, there's just the interpersonal boundaries are kind of fuzzy or being crossed or aren't appropriate, or there's a disconnect between someone's body language and facial expression and what it is that they're saying. So at, at kind of that point of working with a client, it's not really clear 
what personality disorder it might mm-hmm. be, you know, narcissistic borderline. Um, it's interesting that you can tell sort of initially that there's like that instinctive, you know, yeah. acknowledgement of like, oh, there's something it's going like something, on. right, something is different here. So I was curious if you are born a narcissist or if you like become a narcissist. So Keith said that it's usually about like half genetics, uh, similar to a lot of personality traits. And some research shows that parenting can can influence narcissists. So like parents who are cold and manipulative might have children that have vulnerable narcissism. And then parents who put their children on a pedestal and, you know, are like, you're the golden child, you're so special, you can do nothing wrong. That might be linked to grandiose narcissism. Mm. But he was saying that research shows that genetics uh, is, is likely a bigger factor than parenting. But there's this prevailing sense that they they don't really have a realistic sense of self. And so the literature kept referring to it as like a false self, mm-hmm. this unrealistic delusion of who you are. And then the other term besides false self that I kept coming across was the idea of narcissistic supply, which is this constant need to affirm the false self in order to feel like okay and not like empty inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so narcissistic supply might be those likes on Instagram or Facebook. And it might be, you know, surrounding yourself with people who just tell you how great you are no matter what. You know, having worked with performers and actors and then also having worked with doctors and surgeons, different kind of professions both feed narcissistic tendencies and also kind of require them. um, Where in order to to do these things, to perform yeah. a surgery, to get up on stage, you need a, a, a certain sense of self or yeah. of, of your greatness. Yeah, so. that, that you are great. You can do it and you can do it really well. And then like afterwards, when people are applauding you or people are like telling you how brilliant you are, not saying that all doctors or performers or whatever are narcissists, For but sure. like you fa- saved my brother or like you're incredible in that play. That is obviously this supply that is affirming that Mm. false self. Right. And and do you really want anyone like performing a surgery on you? Who's like pretty sure they can do it. Right. Or or, or do you want the guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking nail this. Exactly. That's why I'm not a surgeon. (laughs) I'd be like, like, "Um, I'm going to do my best. I'm really going to really going to try and do a good job on your brother. I think, you know, I've been I've been working really hard and like, I think I can do it, you know, but like, you know, just if I if I mess up or something, please don't hate me. (laughs) Well, and and I think I think uh, Catherine made an excellent point, like the, the, you know, that is narcissism can be sort of a, a valuable trait. And it's also why there are careers and, and sort of life paths that really necessitate it. Hmm. Also, you can tell that I've moved back to Seattle because I'm using phrases like life paths. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I thought we would talk about the line between narcissism as strong personality trait and narcissism as a personality disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder is basically a high level of narcissism that, like other psychological disorders, leads to a high level or a clinical level of distress or impairment. So the DSM has these nine qualifications for narcissistic personality disorder. An individual would need to meet five or more of the traits to qualify. And again, you know, there has been quite a lot of speculation recently about whether or not our president has narcissistic personality disorder. And I wanted to sort of go through the nine qualifications and see how they match up with things that he has said or done publicly. But before we do that, I wanted to explain why it's so controversial for mental health professionals to diagnose a public figure. It really goes back to the 1964 presidential election, Barry Goldwater versus Lyndon Johnson. One month after Goldwater received the Republican nomination, Fact Magazine sent a questionnaire to 12,356 psychiatrists asking if he was psychologically fit to be president. And about 20% of the psychiatrists responded Um, And about a quarter of those responses said that they didn't know enough about him to answer the question. About a quarter said that he was psychologically fit to be president. And about half said that he wasn't psychologically fit to be president. 
And this caused Goldwater to sue the American Psychiatric Association. And so they created this rule, which has been cited a lot recently, the Goldwater Rule, which basically says that if psychiatrists are asked for an opinion about an individual who's public figure, the psychiatrist can share their expertise, but it's unethical for them to offer professional opinion uh, on that individual unless they have treated that person. So recently, a lot of mental health professionals have been speaking out, saying that President Trump's mental state is too dangerous to be silent about. They've gotten a lot of criticism for violating this rule. But actually, a, a rep from the American Psychiatric Association recently clarified that folks are free to comment on public figures as long as they don't offer a specific diagnosis. I asked Keith about his thoughts on this. Keith, you know, was, was happy to talk about Trump and how his behavior and things that he've said matched up with some of these qualifications, but he didn't say that he thought Trump had narcissistic personality disorder. Others mental health people, people interested in narcissism, have said he's got narcissistic personality disorder. I think that's totally legitimate. I think people and I think psychiatrists, despite the Goldwater rule, should be able to say what they think as, as political members of the society. So I have no interest in sort of saying they shouldn't say that or anything like that. I think it's just really an interesting debate. Any thoughts on the Goldwater rule before we go to Trump criteria? For, for me, I think it's just I am a guy who's who's very much here for the Goldwater rule. I wouldn't want a doctor diagnosing me with leukemia or strep throat from some shit I did on TV. And it is really interesting, though, because, like, it doesn't require medical tests. It's observing the public figure's behavior and what they're saying. But it's also observing the public figure's behavior in public. And it's observing the, the public figure's behavior when when they know they're being watched. I, I think there's there's sort of a there's sort of a Schrodinger's cat element here. I think I think it's uncontroversial to say that that we are different people generally in front of a camera or on a stage than we are around just our loved ones. Things like that's that. true. I feel like it's sort of a, a place where the act of observing changes the observation. And I feel like that's sort of important to keep in mind. Yeah, especially for someone who's like a politician or a celebrity, you're really acting to a certain like identity or persona yeah. right. in the public I, eye. I, I think an interesting an interesting issue of this came up um in the you know adjacent to the the current president, the Alex Jones uh civil case, uh where he was trying to get custody of his daughters and his his ex-wife was arguing that he was mentally unstable and submitted a bunch of like screeds and rants from his show as as evidence of that. This and is the this is the InfoWars guy, right? Who said that guy. who says that Obama is making, you know, chemicals turning everybody gay and like including Chem- wildlife yeah, trails <laughs> and vaccine <laughs> trutherism and things like this. And and his 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 lawyer's counter to this was that's not who Alex Jones is. That's a character that Alex Jones plays on the show InfoWars. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, you might, you know, diagnose Sasha Fierce, Beyonce's, like, alter ego with maybe a sense of narcissism or whatever, but, like, Beyonce herself, like, we don't know, right? Like, and, Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I think, you know, for, for me, I, I come back to sort of the uh, pro wrestlers, a lot of a lot of pro wrestlers will tell you like their character is sort of who they are, but just turned up to eleven. Yeah, and it, for me, it, especially when you when you're drawing from a person's public appearances, and that's all, especially sort of in these heightened scenarios, I, I, I question the appropriateness of making judgments about their their mental health when mm-hmm. when you and they may not be sure sort of where that where that line of performativeness is. Yeah. Okay, so um Ian, since we we only have you for a few more minutes, but I thought um we could go through the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder and and sort of go through and see, you know, what some of the things people are talking about regarding Trump or at least Trump's public figure and like how they might match up with these criteria. Sure. So criterion one is they have a grandiose sense of self-importance. 
So exaggerate achievements and talents and expect to be recognized as, as superior without commensurate achievements. Which reminds me of Trump's comments on the inauguration crowds, which actually I talked about a lot with my colleagues because oh, really? it was particularly disturbing or interesting. Um, to him, he said that it looked like there was a million and a half people yeah. present at his inauguration, um, when in fact there was only about 250,000 people, I think it was. Yeah, he kept saying, yeah, that that was a, a mistake. The The network made a mistake uh, and they showed an empty field, but that there were way more people than shown, you know, right. and that it was like the network bias. Right. So he's exaggerating this achievement of drawing all these crowds with clear evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Right. And well, we're talking about a guy who still carries around a 2016 electoral map in his pocket literally everywhere he goes. I'd be amazed if he doesn't have that tattoo yet. <laughs> so criterion two is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Um, so this reminded me of when he was talking to the CIA about how he had more Time magazine covers than anyone ever had or ever would. I have the tape right here. I'll play it. So a reporter for Time magazine, and I have been on their cover like 14 or 15 times. I think we have the all-time record in the history of Time magazine. Like if Tom Brady's on the cover, it's one time because he won the Super Bowl or something, right? <laughs> I've been on for 15 times this year. I don't think that's a record, Mike, that can never be broken. Do you agree with that? What do you think? In fact, it's actually not. That's not true. There have been other celebrities in the past, other politicians even, who have had more Time magazine covers than Donald Trump. Right. Um, Speaking of Tom Brady, did you see that uh, Trump, that Robert Kraft had them make Trump a, a Super Bowl ring? I did not. I did oh not gosh. see that. Yeah, he got a Super Bowl ring. Just in case anyone was looking for yet another reason to hate the Patriots. Uh. <laughs> Go Jets. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Don't want to make anybody too angry. Um, so criterion three is they believe that they're special and unique and can only be understood or associated with other high status people or institutions. Jimmy Kimmel did this like Trump compilation of, of him talking about all of his friends, um, which I'll play here. You know, that's like Muhammad Ali. He was a friend of mine. Michael Jackson was a, actually a very good friend of mine. Tom Brady is a very good friend of mine. Bob Kraft, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they're like great friends of mine. Carl Icahn, who's a friend of mine. I like Oprah. She's a friend of mine. Howard's a friend of mine. I remember Tim Russett very well. He was a friend of mine. Roger Ailes has been a friend of mine. My friend Elton John. We have a rich guy from New York City, a friend of mine. A friend of mine who's one of the biggest and richest people in China. <laughs> Okay, and also, you know, he's talked about how he won't be friends with losers. He doesn't respect losers. He associates with winners. You know, that's a very Trumpian thing. Mm. The 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 famous, I don't like John McCain. I don't like people who got captured. Yes, yes. John McCain's <laughs> not a war hero because war heroes don't get captured. Criterion 4 is requires excessive admiration. There's the story about how Trump gets this folder twice daily filled with like positive news stories about him that are like about how he's so great like this folder of praise um that is delivered to him twice a day i mean so ian right. like so things like that like it's not that doesn't seem like it's his public image necessarily that's what his staffers feel like they need to do for him absolutely um, they, they also for the record they they uh, also work his name into security briefings because it's the only way they can get him to read them. <laughs> um, and look, I am, I am not going to, I'm not going to be, be wrangled into being the Donald Trump defender here. Um, I, I think, I, and I, but I think what you've brought up here sort of comes to my, my, the other half of my problem with, with sort of armchair diagnosis and it's this. I think the criteria that you've just described are definitely criteria for being a, a grandiose narcissist, for having some sort of personality disorder. I think they're also the symptoms of being just a spoiled, shitty rich kid. I, I worry a little bit about sort of overdiagnosing and uh -huh. about ascribing, you know, sort of mental illnesses to 
can can someone just be shitty? Can they can someone just just be like a shitty bad person? I think Donald Trump is a shitty bad person. I don't know that there's a mental disorder behind that and and I question whether you can say for sure that there's a mental disorder behind it, you know, from just observational evidence. Well, and part of it too, especially for diagnosing a well a personality disorder is that it has to be causing some suffering in that person's life, right? Yeah. Like loss of a job, loss of friends, yeah, loss so, of family. Um, yeah. So, you know, so we had gotten to criterion four, like there, there are nine different criteria and you need to have five out of the nine to potentially have narcissistic personality disorder. But yeah, I think the difference between being an asshole and being having a personality disorder is, yeah, what Catherine is saying is that like it affects it is your life. Like it takes over your life and it like really affects you. Um, and it can either I think the the word is cause um, extreme distress or impairment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's, you know, the issue that people are saying with Trump is he is a billionaire. He's the president of the United States. It's it is challenging to say that he's impaired. But again, like like Ian saying, you know, if he weren't wealthy, if he didn't come from this family with, you know, a lot of money, if he wasn't, you know, given all of this privilege and all of these opportunities, then he might be severely impaired Mm -hmm. by these personality mm. traits like it might be very easy in that case because you know as someone who has had like gone through multiple bankruptcies um but like hasn't had it deter them or like necessarily affect them as somebody who's going on twitter and like threatening north korea you know as somebody who is like not backing down from saying uh, that like neo nazis are potentially in the right mm. you know all of those things you know, if if he didn't have like the sort of privilege of circumstances and like privileged backgrounds, that might that might be more impairing. Yeah, and I I think I think for me, there's you know, especially as a guy who's sort of grounded in science and writing and and then this sort of stuff is, it's one thing to say that jo- Donald Trump exhibits the symptoms of someone with narcissistic personality disorder. I have very little issue with that. I think it's it's pretty hard to argue he doesn't. I, I feel like saying that that means that he has this condition is, is it feels like a leap to me. And it feels like it feels a little irresponsible to me. So, I mean, that is why the APA came out with like this clarification about the Goldwater world saying, in fact, that, yeah, you can talk about this person's characteristics. You can uh, speculate about how their personality traits are related to uh, a diagnosis, but you can't diagnose that person. So, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Right. I I think, for you know, for for me, it's it's you know, it's the difference between like Ian is laying down, his eyes are closed, he's breathing at a lowered rate. And he's showing very little brain activity. Ian is exhibiting the signs of being in a coma. He could also just be asleep. But what happens when you poke him? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no one's poked him. I think think that's really, I think that's sort of the issue. Oh, but it's scary because I feel like, you know, once somebody pokes him too much, then it might be the apocalypse. <laughs> right. Know, yeah. Might, I don't really want to. Speaking from Group West headquarters, super cool to hear that news. Uh, well, hopefully we'll all still be alive by the time this podcast comes out. Um, so, Ian, I know you have to run. Uh, Catherine and I can take it from here, but uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much for calling in during your period of chaos. Yeah, thank you. It was helpful to have you. Such a pleasure. Thank you guys for for uh, accommodating me. Uh, it's the one of the more narcissistic things that that I could do, and so I really appreciate <laughs> you humoring me. And uh, I'll look forward to doing it again uh, next month. Okay, awesome. and you will be all moved in and happy and yeah. rested. You'll and... be hanging loose. Yeah, it's gonna be so great. It's gonna be so great. <laughs> I'm gonna be so chilled out and relaxed. And you think you guys think I'm narcissistic now? Just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm looking looking forward to that. Looking forward to to Ian 2.0. Um, okay, I'll we'll talk to you later.
Awesome. Cheers, all. Bye. Bye. So I just want to quickly, like, grow through the rest of the criteria. Criterion five is a sense of entitlement. This made me think of the notorious 2005 uh, Access Hollywood recording. Um, I don't I don't know if it's worth playing it for everybody. I think everybody's familiar with it, but it's the, uh, you know, when you're famous, you can do whatever you want. You can grab them by the pussy. Um, you can do anything, which definitely seems like a strong sense of entitlement to me. Right. And they let you do it, that he will have this favorable treatment because mm-hmm. of who he is. Because of how great he is. Um, criterion six is interpersonally exploitative or takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. <laughs> this I was thinking about, like the constant hiring and firing of folks who agree, agree yeah. you know, hiring folks who agree with them and then firing them as soon as they like say something he disagrees with or like... Yeah, I mean, even that like inability to take any sort of criticism is Mm -hmm. certainly, you know, within this category as well. Um, Number seven, I thought was really interesting, is lack of empathy. He at least has an interesting relationship with some of his children, but like, it seems like maybe, like he's, he's potentially able to empathize with certain people, but there are also like very public instances of him not empathizing and and doing so in like shocking ways like there's the whole Kazir Khan family instance Khan was uh, a soldier who died in 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 combat and Trump just said like you know these really like insensitive things to his family which does seem you know to me like a lack of empathy yeah for sure um Criterion eight is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. This was the thing that was most hard for me to find um, an example of. It doesn't seem like he said very publicly that he's envious of other people. I mean, he he talks about how great he is all the time, but not that like specific individuals are envious of him. There was this uh, June 29th New York Times column uh, that got a lot of, a lot of attention called Trump's Obama obsession, where the writer breaks down like how Trump is like so envious of how highly Obama Obama's presidency is regarded and and obsesses over comparisons between mm-hmm. the two. But it, it doesn't seem like he talks about that publicly, at least. And then Criterion Nine is shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Uh, uh, which, yeah. <laughs> which he hits out of the park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There have also been a lot of articles about how Donald Trump might have other personality issues. Uh, people have brought up that he might have elements of antisocial personality disorder. And Catherine, you were sort of talking about the differences between different personality disorders before, but I, I wanted to know specifically how narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder are related, you know, if one can be confused for the other. I asked Keith to explain the connection. Antisocial personality disorder is usually has a lot more classic impulsivity, theft, sort of delaying gratification. So people antisocial will, you know, hey, nice watch, and they'll sneak back and steal it because they go, I really wanted that watch. So, but they, you know, but they share this sort of callous disregard for other people's well-being. Um, antisocial isn't quite as charming, um, but they sometimes are described as being glib. I mean, so it just it, it depends on how you measure it exactly. And it, and actually, if you look at, you know, there's all these different people came up with these different models. The other is psychopathy, which psychopathy kind of is it sort of bridges. It's like, you know, narcissism plus antisocial. You end up with psychopathy, um, which is, you know, narcissism, but maybe a little more callous, a little more impulsive. But again, mm-hmm. these are cousins. These aren't like three different animals. They're, these are just different types of lions. That's a horrible metaphor. I don't even know what kinds of lions they are, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's. I'm sure there are different types of lions. There must be different <laughs> types of lions. They're, they're, they're sim- <laughs> these, are, these are cousins. I, I just stick with cousins. These are cousins. They're not different families. Okay. They're cousins. They're, they're related. Yeah. Really, you know, like you can't can't a hundred percent pinpoint what's all, what's ever going on in the in the human brain chemically, right? So no, I mean we just like, we are yeah. not at a place with diagnosis. I, the reality with a lot of things is with personality disorders. Often we'll talk about in in the psychology literature of something called the dark triad, 
which is mm-hmm. a cool it's a cool name because it sort of sounds like a crime fighting squad or something or maybe a, a bunch of master criminals yeah it does sound like marvel needs to make a movie about them yeah, they should actually <laughs> but it's the, you know but those three are psychopathy narcissism and machiavellian personality which is uh another form but it's sort of people who are highly manipulative and callous um and those things share this this darkness, which is this callousness towards people. So, yeah, so I thought it was interesting because, you know, he's talking about antisocial and how that's related to impulsivity because uh, Trump displays so, so many really impulsive characteristics. Yeah. And it's interesting that that's not one of the the main characteristics for narcissism or the diagnostic uh, uh, criteria. So I asked him about whether narcissists can exhibit that sort of impulsivity that people with antisocial personality disorder have? That's a, that's a really interesting question because it depends exactly what you mean by impulsive. But for me, impulsivity isn't, you wouldn't say, you know, what are the characteristics of narcissism? You'd say grandiosity, self-centeredness, sense of entitlement, interpersonal exploitativeness, uh, maybe charisma, manipulativeness, defensiveness. Impulsivity isn't really one of those traits, but you do see it at times, and 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 the way you see it is many of us don't do stupid things because they're people we care about in our lives. So somebody's like, hey, Keith, let's go parachuting after doing a bunch of blow, and I'm thinking, that sounds great. But then I go, yeah, but I'm married. I have a job. I don't want to lose my job. I've got kids. I don't want to lose my kids. How embarrassed would they be when dad got fired from his, you know, job for doing cocaine on an airplane and jumping out of it? I I don't know where that example came from. That's nothing I've even done in the 70s. But my point is we have these close relationships that keep us in line and with with narcissism you you have some impulsivity because you're not so concerned about other people the other thing what you see with narcissism is this sensation seeking or a drive to just do things and i think that can lead to something that looks like impulsivity but classic classic impulsivity like i can't control myself from drinking i can't control myself from overeating you don't really see that with narcissism. And in fact, you don't see it with Trump. I mean, he's a, he's not a drinker. He, he's sobered up. So I think that he has this interesting mix of this. Some ways he seems impulsive. Um, other ways he seems very controlled. But there could, but with him, there could be some mania in there. I mean, I, there could be other things going on. It could be so his, his narcissism could be so extreme that it's interfering with his, you know, with these other faculties. It could be his, you know, it could be some hypomania. So can you explain what uh, hypomanic personality is and how it's related to narcissism? Um, they're very close. But hypomania is, it's got a lot of drive and extroversion and energy level with it. So people, it's like, I mean, the, excuse me, the, the reason we say hypomania, it sounds like people often go, that means you're really manic. No, hypo. So it's like you're you're sort of like somebody who's got manic some sort of high or some sort of manic disorder like bipolar disorder, but they're actually lower level. So it's low mania. So there's sort of constantly energized, constantly a little uh, shaky, sometimes erratic because of this sort of constant flow of energy they have in them. But it's also related to a lot of creativity, a lot of grandiose visions. So visionary leaders are often a little hypomanic, um, a lot of idea generation, and and it correlates it correlates with narcissism because they both share this this sort of drive, uh, this visionary quality. But narcissism has much more of the entitlement and callousness, and you don't see that with hypomania. Can individuals with narcissistic personality disorder, one maybe one of these other dark three, uh, can they receive clinical treatment in order to improve their disorder? The challenge we have with that, and I keep saying the challenge because, I God, I wish there were more research on these things. But what you see in the in the in the literature, at least, and these are more accounts of traits or or of case studies or small group studies. These aren't really good randomized uh, studies. You find people who are narcissistic can change in, in therapy. You find people who are antisocial can change in therapy. Psychopathy even seems to be changeable to some extent. The biggest 
challenge in all these cases is getting people into treatment and getting them motivated to want treatment. So in my life, I've gotten maybe, I don't know, 500 emails from people saying, I'm in this bad relationship with this person who's very narcissistic. What do I do? My life's going to hell. Or my kid's in this relationship with somebody who's narcissistic. And I've gotten three emails from people who said, you know, I'm really narcissistic. What can I do? So, wow. but when I've had those emails, it's been interesting because it's people who say something like, look, I, I know I've got this going on. It's been great for me and work, but I, I really want to have a family. I see what other people have. They seem to have these, these relationships in their life that seem really meaningful. And I, I want to have some of that. And I don't quite know how to get there. And that sometimes is at least theoretically a mechanism to get people to change is to say, look, I'm not telling you, you don't have to be the, you don't have to be awesome. You can be awesome, but be awesome and kind, be awesome and caring, be awesome and connected to people. And that sometimes can, in a laboratory, it can sort of diminish some of the negative effects of narcissism. So if you have someone who has NPD and they are wanting to work with a clinician, what sort of treatments would be used in order to help them? There is no, right now, what we'd say a gold standard treatment. There's no, I, I can't say, hey, look, you know, we've done the research and we did the study and compared these, you know, five different treatment modalities and we've really nailed it. Group therapy works, cognitive behavioral therapy works, some sort of psychodynamic therapies work, schema therapy works. Uh, I mean, all these different forms work occasionally, or at least they have worked. What I tend to recommend to people is I would find somebody who does some sort of cognitive behavioral therapy who's well-trained, and I'd say, look, let's break down your thought patterns, break down your behavioral patterns, see which ones are really messing you up, and figure out how to change those. So just do it in a very direct way. If you're dealing with somebody and somebody who's much more artistic and much more verbal, really wants to do a deep dive. You could do more psychoanalytic therapy. There are people in New York and Boston who still are doing sort of really, you know, intensive psychotherapy with narcissism. So that might work for somebody like that. So it depends, you know, there's, it's often depends on the person. It's hard to find. There's no master list of, hey, here are people that treat this. A lot of therapists don't want to. I remember uh, before the campaign with Trump, I mean, if it were me and, you know, and I were in charge, I probably would have sat him in a room and just criticized him for about three hours till I just stopped working, you know, just done full, <laughs> like a full behavioral intervention, just bombardment of criticism. Now, that's com- probably completely unethical, but 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 that's sort of maybe very behavioral stuff. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you think about is what are the specific issues you know, whether you call it narcissism or disorder, or you just say, look, I'm in there and I'm doing these dumb things and I want to do these things better. I want to have this and I want to have less of this. You know, I think figuring out exactly what those things are, exactly what the thoughts are, exactly what the feelings are, and then maybe trying to work on changing those is a reasonable approach. Yeah. So Keith says that different things might work for different people. And I wanted to see if I could get a hold of a narcissist who had gone through treatment. So I spoke with Sam Vaknin, who has written about being diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. He's the author of his self-published book, Malignant Self-Love, Narcissism Revisited. And he did not have a positive treatment experience. I have experienced many forms of therapy. Schema therapy, psychoanalytic therapy, psychodynamic therapies, several of them. I've experienced cognitive behavioral therapy and so on and so forth. None of them, not one of them is useful. So I want to make it clear that even though Sam does research and write a lot about narcissism, he is not a mental health professional. Uh, you know, on his website, um, in his book, he, he markets himself as an expert in narcissism. I asked him to tell me, you know, how, how he began writing about it. I've been diagnosed twice with narcissistic personality disorder and once with uh, psychopathy. So I'm, uh, I'm this hybrid, um, the psychopathic narcissist. It's um, kind of the worst of both disorders combined. It led me, of course, to try to study the disorders. I was shocked 22 years ago to find that there was extremely little written about narcissistic personality disorder. 
And so I try to fill the void by first observing myself and then setting up support groups for victims of narcissists, which ballooned within a year to 250,000 members. I mean, it also makes sense that there's not a lot of research about treatment or treatment options if, you know, clinicians aren't seeing many yeah. uh, people with narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. There's not like this driving need yeah, to find an, an or, intervention. Yeah. Or like, I mean, how do you find people for a clinical trial or anything like that? Right. You know, if like, as Keith was saying, he got three emails from narcissists during his, yeah. you know, <laughs> over the past 20 years or whatever. Um, Sam says that he uh, is a psychopath and a narcissist. So his personal description of narcissism was a little different than the vibe that I was getting from my conversation with Keith. Um, Sam's description was sort of a depiction of narcissists as something other than human. People refuse to believe that narcissists exist to the extent that they do. They can't accept that some people have no empathy. They can't relate to the convoluted and alien, frankly, mind of the narcissist. They therefore engage in what I call malignant optimism. They say, well, it's not that bad. He has his good sides. He has his inner child. If I only love him, everything will be okay. I can educate him. I can change him. I can fix him. And the same goes in politics. I mean, how many people said, well, when Trump becomes president, he will be more presidential and there will be checks and balances and he will have to collaborate with Congress and he will have to speak differently. And so this is, these are all forms of malignant optimism. Malignant optimism is the defense of healthy people against the horror of narcissism because narcissists are the, the embodiment of zombies. They are eviscerated, but in the brain. They, they lack very critical dimensions of what make, makes, people, makes us human. The only way to cope with the narcissist is to go no contact. There is no other effective strategy. There is no known treatment or therapy which touches upon narcissism or dents it. Anyone who says otherwise is a liar. A money-grabbing liar. Do not believe. I, I wanted to touch on this lack of empathy that he's addressing here. So I, I brought up empathy in my conversation with Keith. You know, that's one of the nine criteria for uh, narcissistic personality disorder is lack of empathy. And Keith said that people with NPD, like, might experience empathy cognitively so they can sort of, like, mm. see somebody is sad and, like, recognize that, but that it'll be different than, like, I see you're sad and I, I feel it myself. Mm. That um, kind of attunement to another person. Yeah, yeah. So I, I asked Sam about narcissist's ability to empathize, wondering about his perception of it and um, also, you know, ability to love, mm. uh, which is related to empathy. Narcissists and psychopaths um, are incapable of love because they lack a very important determinant and dimension of love, and that is empathy. They have something which I call cold empathy. It's the ability to penetrate people's defenses, to scan them, sort of, and immediately spot their vulnerabilities, points of penetration, chinks in the armor, and then leverage this information to abuse or manipulate the people they've just scanned. But this is only, this is only the cognitive, cold aspect of empathy. They lack utterly the emotional correlate. They lack an emotional reaction to the information that they gather by this process of scanning. And so because they lack that, because they lack that, they are unable to perceive other people as people, as human beings. Empathy underlies our ability to relate to other people as our equals or as, our, as, as other members of the same species. Narcissists and psychopaths regard other people as objects representations, avatars, functions, extensions, but never as people. Of course, it's impossible to love if you regard people that way. I wonder, I mean, I didn't 
meet Sam or talk mm. to Sam, but if some of these descriptions point to like his suffering with the narcissistic personality disorder where it is like darker. Yeah. Or um, like his inability or, you know, the the ways that he's seen it disrupt interpersonal relationships or his ability to relate to the world. Yeah, I mean he said he he said that he's worked with a lot of he's worked with a lot of victims of narcissists. I mean, so is Keith. Yeah. But um like Sam has this YouTube channel. One of the major focuses of the channel is to help people who are in abusive relationships with narcissists mm. to uh, get out of those relationships or like what to do when you're in those relationships. Mm. Yeah. So maybe this is a reflection of those experiences and that sort of work. It's also it's interesting because like, you know, he says this stuff about love, um, about narcissism and love. He himself is married and he's been married for 21 years, which was shocking to me. And I, I asked him, you know, if if certain types of individuals with certain personalities often find themselves in relationships with nar- narcissists, even though they're not being loved in that way that you might get with somebody who doesn't have this sort of dark triad personality disorder. Mm. Narcissists attract everyone. Narcissists don't filter they don't uh, they don't make any distinction but the only test is can this person give me narcissistic supply if she can she's fair game and when the narcissist decides to target someone it is utterly irrelevant what is the psychological composition or personality of the target what is her socioeconomic level what's her educational competence what nothing is relevant when the narcissist decides to target a victim, usually he succeeds. Narcissists have an irresistible arsenal of charm, focus, which extremely few people can resist. Even the most sane, the most balanced, the most cool-headed succumb to the narcissist's onslaught. And so there's no specific type. The selection is not made by the victims, as, as your question implies by their personalities. The selection is made by the narcissist. It is the narcissist who decides who to target, and the only criterion is whether that person is useful as a source of narcissistic supply. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine someone else who also has these kind of extreme emotions on either end of the spectrum to... Be yeah, drawn that's to what someone I was thinking. who has that similar sort of dynamic yeah. um, beliefs about themselves yeah. and the world. And in, you know, the documentary, the 2009 documentary, I Psychopath, by the Australian documentarian Ian Walker, um, documentarian interviews his wife. Mm. And, like, she recognizes that Sam can't experience love the way that other people experience love and she's okay with it Mm. you know which is interesting because it's like i don't it's not something i would be okay with right so yeah i was wondering if there are you know if if that's like a specific sort of yeah like counter set of personality traits or whatever but and all of this conversation seems to get into kind of a gray area where are we talking about narcissism or are we talking about antisocial personality disorder? I mean, they're all lions, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, which gets back to, you know, the challenges of diagnosing these things. So to conclude, uh, Keith says that there are some treatment options available, but it's rare for narcissists to accept help. And Sam says that narcissists are these alien creatures uh, who cannot be helped. So we have links to Keith's work and to Sam's book on our website, grouppodcast.com. Go check that out if you want to learn more. We also, again, have the narcissistic personality inventory there if you want to go check out the test and see what your score is. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts and please leave us a review. If you go and take a screen grab of your review and send it to me with your address, I will send you a group podcast sticker. I'm very excited about these stickers. I have a lot of them. Um, Email us if you have any show ideas or things that you want to hear about. Some of the upcoming shows we're going to be doing are on seasonal affective disorder. We're going to be talking about therapist breakups and finding a good therapist. Let me know if you have something else that you'd really like to hear about. 
Thank you to Faith Rusk and to Mary Langto for helping with research for this show. Thanks to Michael Carden at WUGA Radio and the folks at the University of Georgia. Music in this episode is by The Losers, so sorry to Narcissus for that. I know they would probably prefer a different band. Check out Ian's podcast, Menagerie, on stories about animals and how humans interact with them. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, be kind to yourself and take care. Everything is going to be okay. If there is an ultimate narcissist on this planet, yes. it would be Daniel. My name is Daniel McGuire. I'm 32 years old, and you might know me from Bachelor in Paradise Season 3. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm a personal trainer. Working out, to me, is one of the most important things. It brings confidence, people admiring your you know, body, and uh, a lot of times, girls and guys are intimidated by me, and they feel insecure, you know, jealous. <laughs>